Today, Carla will be interviewing a guest who has experienced a relationship problem and successfully worked through it. Welcome to Change My Relationship podcast. We are going to be interviewing Maria today. And what I love about stories and the reason that I'm telling stories on this podcast is because of the hope, the healing that comes from hearing the fact that other people have been through some of the most egregious, painful things, and yet they have been able to come through them, heal from them, and then actually do something wonderful and beautiful with them. And that is what Maria is going to talk to us about today. So welcome, Maria. Thank you for having me, Carla. Oh, you're very welcome. I've been excited about this one. She was one of the first ones I thought about when I thought about doing the podcast. She has a beautiful story. So will you tell us what happened? Well, at the age of five, I was introduced to oral sex by my father. That just started a spiral of sexual abuse throughout my life till the age of 21 when I finally ran away from my home. What that looked like was, I just remember as a child watching the Miss, I always remember the Miss Universe pageant because we have the old fashioned TVs with the wood all around it. And it's so impacted in my, in my image of it. And watching this beautiful woman walking up and down the, the platform. And all of a sudden, um, my siblings were going to go to the store. My father asked me to stay and everybody left. Well, I was chosen to stay because there was a plan for me. And that was the day that I was introduced to oral sex by my father. From there, um, it would be, he start, would continually, I mean, obviously at that, that day, I remember him begging me not to tell my mom. And, and it just started a cycle of manipulation from my father. The person that was supposed to protect me now was my abuser. And on top of that, my father was a pastor. So the image of God was started completely distorted as a child. I mean, all the stories from hearing of Moses, of all these miracles that God can do to crying out to God as a child for it to stop and not having it stop kind of threw me into a spiral because it would be several nights that he would come into my room at night and fondle me. And I kind of became immune to it, but then I would try to control it so it wouldn't continue. And when he knew, I knew. And then um, he would threaten to start on my sister. And then it became a form of abuse. If my grades weren't good, if I burned the food, it was just more of a perfection. Like I had to be perfect in some contents so that the abuse wouldn't happen. So um, at the age of 21, I finally ran away. I always had this fear that I would get pregnant from my father, which is so, it was like, that can't happen. All of this is happening, but that can't happen. So without even understanding, you know, development and all of that, because in my home that wasn't talked about, sex wasn't talked about, any of that, I knew it was wrong, you know? So what happened is I did start going out. I was in school and I would ditch, go out to parties get drunk. So eventually that's where it started. Me drinking eventually turned to me getting high. And eventually when I did run away, I turned to methamphetamine. And so I became addicted to methamphetamine to kind of cope with the pain of what had happened. Eventually that led me back to my source, which was God. And even though it sounds so crazy because the person that I looked at as a connection to God was distorted but then I ran back to the source 
and got to know the source or the way the source was. And did you try to tell anyone at all or did you totally feel manipulated by his threats to where you didn't ever say anything? I didn't try to tell anybody anything. I, I recall one time having a fight with my mother, kind of thinking, why did you have me? You know, and that's how it stemmed from that argument where I wanted to know why does she have me? Well, little did I know that I was supposed to be aborted oh. for me. So that kind of spiraled something different where I didn't know that. And she responded out of what she had went through to keep me. But to me, it was like, if you would have not had me, then I would not be going through this. It was that sense of like, I couldn't tell you, but I wish you wouldn't have me. So I think at one point, I do recall at one point, my father did come to me and say, did I say something to my mother? Because I think my mother was picking up on things and she confronted him and then he confronted me. So then I got scared and he threatened to start on my sister. So now I was more of like, I was a protector now. I, I had to protect my family. And I kind of took on that role as a child. Even now as a married woman, I have to be careful because that is something I constantly have to break out of because it's kind of, I became that family. I see how I became the protector. I became like the problem solver, the, the person that would, if, if I couldn't fix the relationship, it was my fault. So I, I took on this baggage, but it all stemmed from my childhood. It all stemmed from, from the, the pain afflicted and the mindset that I had changed in myself to protect myself, to kind of endure this. That's how I've come to understand it. And obviously I, I, I continue to work through it. It's a constant working through every day. There's something new I learn about myself and because I'm so self-reflecting on it and because of the grace of God, definitely, I am aware because I had to come, you see the distortion of a father, the image of a father was distorted. The image of love was distorted for me. So when I came to find God for myself, I had to know him or who he really is, not with the idea of what was afflicted on me. That is a constant lesson I'm learning daily, even today. What I hear from men and women who have been molested as children is that there is a lot of promiscuousness in their yes. own sexual acting right. out. That's the only way they've known how to connect to people. There's a lot of shame around it, but yet they find themselves doing it. And yet there's a lot of pain while they're doing it and about doing it later in their life. So what happened with you with that? So when I ran away, I did become very promiscuous. So I recall when I ran away, I ran into the arms of a so-called boyfriend friend which took advantage of me. That was like kind of the last straw in my own life, meaning, okay, this has been taken from me. Now I'm going to control this and I'm going to use this. And I recall that day when that happened, where I had tears coming down my eyes. And I said to myself, because words are very powerful. This is all I'm good for. This is it. And I, it's almost like I put that on myself. I took on this, this robe of that. And, and I put it on and, and I said, okay, I'm gonna wear this. And from that day was the day I started a promiscuous life. You have to understand, sex was introduced to me very distorted. So now I was gonna control the satisfaction of sex and I was gonna determine what I got, what pleased me, how I did it, 
who I took it from and what I, because now it allowed me to feel I was in control and now no one was controlling that. I had that, that was a power that I had that was given to me in some sense, it sounds weird, but now I had that power and I was gonna use it. So I did when I was living on, when I ran away, that's what my life consisted of. Obviously with the addiction, the methamphetamine, it's a drug that does also allow you to be very promiscuous as well. It just um, allowed me to be numb to the feelings of it, you know, and when I did, it was like I was longing for something because that's all I knew I was good for. I almost felt like this was my, my duty and then I would receive something for it. I would manipulate the man. I would take, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed of who I was, but I know that that was the broken person I was. And that's how I would control those relationships for, for a couple of years until um, it spiraled out of control. And I was in a situation where a gun was pulled to my head because of drugs, um, which was my roommate's boyfriend. And because I was Hispanic, I was a disgrace to the race. He was going to smoke me. Those were his words which I just didn't even respond. I just looked straight at him like, pull the trigger because it takes me out of my misery. I remember um, he had a friend that was with him and this gentleman, I guess, had partied with him or for some sense, I don't recall because a lot of my life was a blur. You know, I, I think about, I used to hang out in a drug house. Like when I think back to that, that image of that, it was the worst life I lived. And I was okay in the, in the dirt. I was okay in the, in the junk. It felt like I was hidden and nobody could see me and it was okay. Obviously, my atmosphere of people were not the best atmosphere because they were all using. That put me in a, in a familiarity with the type of people I was running with or hanging out with to give my drugs and so forth. When he pulled the gun on my head and told me he was going to pull the trigger, in my head, I was like, please take me out of my misery. Like I could not see any hope. What would my life look like? I knew I was a used, abused person. Nobody cared for me. This is the idea I had. I was just a piece of object that was used. And then once they got what they wanted from me, they tossed me off to the side. And then the next one would come and the next one. And this was my life. There was no hope. And, um, and I remember his friend was pulling him from him from off of me and I was not shedding one tear just right looking at the gun and him in the face with no fear of dying and for a quick second like it literally felt like my body was I lifted and saw what was going on I saw my mom miles away because she lived in Hollywood I was in Lake Elsinore on her knees crying out to God well I didn't know she was crying out to God at the moment I thought she saw me dead and she was crying. It was like so supernatural and sounds that I almost gets me choked up when I think about the image. I was watching my mom in the spirit. She was on her knees begging God for my life at that very second. And all I could see was her anguish, which were her, which was her prayers of my life. And one tear came out of my left eye. And the individual that had the gun to my head said, oh, you're afraid of me. He wanted to see fear in me. But even though it wasn't fear, the tear gave him that response. And it was the, the tear of the pain seeing my mother, because I knew 
she had already gone, endured so much with me just leaving. And I didn't even know. I just had this, like the sense of like, how could I do this to her? And I really believe that that's where God intervened in my life because that day I was going to kill myself. I had went and asked for a gun from somebody I knew. I was going to go get any of drugs. I was going to go into the area where there was trees and I was going to kill myself. I was, I had actually contacted my brother and told him I had gotten into a fight with my roommate to come and pick up my car. I had a plan. I had a plan to take my life, but God had a plan too. And he intervened in this crazy way to change the course of my life. So you actually had a plan to kill yourself before the incident with the gun to your head? Before that? That day, that day, I was going to kill myself that day. I had just came into my apartment and it's so crazy because it was because my last line was gone. She had I felt my roommate had stole it. So it just the mindset of addiction. And I just was like done. Like I needed it to cope. I needed it to work. I needed, I was working two jobs. I was just not eating, you know. And so I went to uh, a guy I was dating at the time who was the known drug dealer. So there was two drug dealers basically, which is so ironic. There was this, the weed and then there was a methamphetamine, two sides of the trap. I went to him because there was this something about him. And I asked him, I said, I need protection. I think somebody's robbing our house. I don't know. He knew. And he told me, he said, I, know, I heard you're doing meth. He knew that I was on meth. And I just got upset. And I said, can you please just, can you give me just some type of protection? He said, come back at 12 o'clock and I'll have a hot piece for you. Basically, it's a stolen gun. And so I said, okay. So I was going to go back and pick up the gun and never got to pick up the gun. It's crazy because a gun was used, but God was there. It, it's so ironic, but it so shows me the hand of God. Yeah, but that is quite powerful. I do believe that I probably would have. So God had an interview because I was at the point of, I didn't want to live. There was no hope. I mean, looking at that story now, I, I just, I thank God daily for where I'm at today. Because I mean, I really thank him. I cannot believe I am like all the stuff I went through isn't even, it's not, it's not that serious to where I am today. It, it God has used it. God has used me that to bring hope to others. If I could get through it, Anybody can get through it. And I mean, I work in a, in a facility where I hear horrible stories. Mine is not horrible. You know, I, it was horrible for me, yes, at the time. A child shouldn't go through that. I'm, I'm a voice. I advocate for people. I, I am the voice of reason. I, I want justice for it. And, and what's amazing, though, is I was able to forgive my father. I was able to meet my father. I was able to go to his dying bed before that. Now, that doesn't happen. Well, did you have a relationship with him as an adult, though? Or did you no, cut we, off? We cut off everything. So You cut off everything. I or did he? Everything. You did. I cut off everything. Okay. So After I ran away. Okay. So when I ran away for a while, for a couple of years, but first when I ran away, he would text me. Back then, we had pagers. <laughs> so he would text me and text me and text me until I like basically turned off my pager because I didn't want to deal with it. He would leave me messages on the voicemail that when he found me, he was going to kill me. So it became another manipulation. Then um, he said that I was out at clubs and I was being with men. And so it just distorting my name. 
you know, distorting who I was as this child, distorting everything to my mother because my mother was in the process of divorcing him. She did divorce him, but then I had to deal with the guilt of my, that guilt that tried to come over me. I'm the reason my parents got divorced. So your mom knew about it at that time? And she divorced him over it? Yeah. Or did you tell her? Yeah, when I ran away, I left a letter. I didn't tell her, I left a letter. And it indicated what had been happening. And also said, please protect my sister. That's where it spiraled. And that's where the manipulation started with his side, with my mother. Controlling her and telling her that I was a liar and that you know, I was out and I was out because I was going out and drinking myself to, to cope, you know? And when I did go to work, my father would follow me. I would say I would go to work and I would go to the mall basically, because I I was basically very controlled. It was like an obsessive boyfriend. I couldn't leave the home. So when I would work, I would go in early to kind of have a life, to go to the mall, to go eat and then go to work. Well, I remember the day I ran away, I went to the mall and I was driving back to my job and I saw him driving around. And I, at that moment, I was so scared to go home. And that's the day I decided I didn't have no clothes, nothing. I just didn't go home that day because I knew if I go home today, today might be the day I get pregnant. Those were the concepts. That's, this is how my mind thought. He'll abuse me so bad this time. And he'll, you know, he'll actually get me pregnant. I mean, at the time, I didn't even understand it because no one really talked to me about sex besides school, but I knew I could get pregnant. And so so I, you were having intercourse at some point. It just started off with oral sex, but it changed it intercourse. With it, and then it, yeah, it started with oral sex and then it started with fondling. And then the fondling became like penetration. And it would always would happen like, when everybody was asleep, all of a sudden my father would be in my bedroom and I would feel him. And so I would pretend I was asleep, you know, and then sometimes I would just kind of position myself in ways that he couldn't get to me. And then he would sometimes leave. I knew that that he would start on my sister. So it was kind of, you almost, I became like a sacrificial lamb in some sense, in my mind which is so distorted at you don't do that. But that was the concept I had as a child to like sacrifice myself so it wouldn't happen to somebody else. That's really common. I mean, yeah, totally. Were you the oldest? Yes, I am the oldest of four. Did you find out if your sister ever was molested? Yes, she was two years before I came out, which that was a big thing of me guilty myself. And also the way he started on her, he guilt her that he loved her differently from me. So that built also a competition, a set of trying to meet these expectations as siblings already. And then you have this put on you. And she's going through her own healing journey too, but I did have a conversation with her and, and did explain to her how he manipulated us both, both of us. So was, how old was she when it started with her? She was probably 13. Okay, 13. And that he was still doing it to you at the same time Mm -hmm. he was doing it to her. So he was doing it to both of you. And you were the only two girls? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And then, yeah, so what happened too in that concept with with that situation is that that was something that was also built this, just this fear within each other. And it's this, this like anger with not with me, but where it seemed like 
she was aware, like, why didn't I protect her when we did have a fall of like a discussion? It was like where it came out where like you didn't protect me. But in other words, you didn't tell me what was going on to, yes. to keep me from falling yes. victim to that. Uh, yes. But did she come to you and tell you while it was no. happening? She didn't. No. So he manipulated her too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh. Wow. Yeah. And this whole time he was going to church he and pa pastoring and you were pastor. sitting in his church on Sunday mornings. Yep. I was sitting in the church on the first pew and just wishing God was like, as a child, like, you do all these plagues god can you cut his legs i remember thinking things like that can you cut his hand like can you tell me you love me enough to hurt him you know i it, i know it sounds so crazy but there was a time that i had images of my father dead and me standing over him i had images of how he could die you know there there came this rage in me this anger that i wanted to control it get rid of it and fix it you know, and whatever, by whatever means, I'm glad I never did that. I mean, the journey to forgiveness and restoration is so much more beautiful and less more, you know, um, convicted in some sense, because I remember reaching out to people that I knew, possibly knew people. And I asked them, I remember asking someone, how much does it take? How much is it to kill someone? When I was a child, I was in high school. Wow. And I thinking, what does it take to do that? Like, what, what, what would that look like? How, what would I have to do? Or I remember those things, but I'm just so great, grateful that I didn't ever act out on a lot of them. I mean, I don't even know what that would, you know, God had a different plan for my life. Yeah, those, those are common thoughts, though, because those are thoughts that are like exactly like you said, I can't control this. So I've got to figure out how could I control this? What could I do? And how can I make this go away? And you were a child and you were powerless with him and you were crying out to God and God wasn't acting where you could see on your behalf. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, what else could I do? Well, maybe, maybe he'll die. Or mm -hmm. maybe, you know, what if I could do this? And so that fantasy, mm -hmm. you know, people shouldn't feel guilty about those kinds of things that they think about. Even women and uh, men in difficult marriages will tell me that, you know, they, they will think, you know, divorce is too difficult. I don't know how I'm going to make it through that, but I can't handle this marriage. So maybe he'll die or maybe she'll die or maybe, mm -hmm. you know, something. And so that and they feel guilty, but that's very normal for us to try to think about that. It doesn't mean you have a plan. Yeah. Uh, so you talked about how he used sex as punishment if your grades weren't perfect or something like that. Mm -hmm. So how did that struggle with perfectionism come over into your life? Well, I still struggle with it today. I'm not going to say that. It's completely, I have to remember for, if my grades were good, like he would call me over late at night when everybody was asleep and he would ask me to take off my underwear and I knew what was going to happen. You know what I mean? He would fondle me. And then um, those images was always like, if I don't do this, will God be okay with me? If I don't, if oh, I didn't read my Bible today, or I didn't pray today. It, it sounds like as simple as that. I mean, I had these marks, this checklist that I had to check. And you never, you're never perfect. You're not, we were created to be perfect, but only God is. So I kind of still in some sense, oh, I didn't do this. And I have to remember what's truth and what's a lie. What's the truth? 
and what is a lie that I've believed in the past and how is that slipping into this situation? So I started to be an overachiever, always had to be the best in every job or every situation. Or I did real estate for a while. I had to be the top producer. I had to do this. And when I work in the church, how do I take my ministry to a bigger, not so much bigger, how do I improve it more? Like it was always not being still and just enjoying this, but making it more. It was always about more and more because I was always trying to meet a mark that I was never going to meet. And I still, I catch myself a lot and I have to talk myself down from that idea still today because it's, to me, it's like a muscle you work and you just flex that muscle and it gets easier. And then eventually that muscle's strong. So you're able to just function, you know, with those muscles differently. And so for me, it's just a rewiring of my mindset, you know, the Bible talks about renewing your mind daily. So I'm always renewing my mind. I'm always, I do go to counseling. I, I even now as a married woman, um, just so certain things that try to slip in, I'm like, well, that is from my past. That is not truth on my relationship today. So being very aware and separating those is what I've come to understand because I do see that expectation of, of an overachiever, a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And those are my biggest pet peeves for myself, but I know those are tied to my history of my past. The, when you had the gun put to your head and you said at that moment you had a revelation, what, what exactly was that? And you ended up getting married. So tell me about that <laughs> and your daughter. Um, at that revelation was when I realized I didn't want to see my mom suffer. I think it started there. And then most importantly, then I remember going to a pay phone. I remember going, I went to work. I worked at McDonald's and at Walmart at the time. And I remember working in the drive-thru and a family member that lived out in Lake Elsinore drove the drive-thru looking for me because they were looking for me. I had not, phone was pulled out. I hadn't reached out to anybody. And she said, you need to call your mother. She's worried. So I remember to the pay phone. And when I went to the pay phone, and I called her, her words to me were, I was praying for you. And inside of me, it made me angry because I was like, why did you pray for me? Why, why did you do that? And I remember her telling me she loved me and that she didn't care what I was doing, that she didn't want me to end up, because my dad was a heroin addict, which that was another secret in his family. He was a heroin addict. So she mentioned to me that she did not want to see me like my father running to drugs. Was he a heroin addict while he was doing that abuse or was that after? In the middle of In the middle of abuse. So while, yeah, when he was abusing you, he was a heroin addict. Yes. Yeah. So at least that's when I realized it, you know, looking back, I remember her telling me that it didn't matter what I was doing to just come home. And I just told her, um, I was still very bitter and angry. And I said, please don't pray for me no longer. And I hung up the phone and I was still resentful and angry because I felt like you didn't protect me. Now you're praying for me. That kicked in. So then it changed from gratefulness to anger real quickly. So I had to kind of walk through that a bit. I came back into the area for about a year, but I was still using, not as strong, but I was still using finally my 
uh, best friend I had came, reached out to me and she saw me and I just wanted somebody to reach out to me, which is what I do now because nobody was reaching out and like trying to pull me back. You know what I mean? It was just, they kind of left me there wherever I was. My best friend reached out and she met me and she went home and she told her, her parents, I need her to move in with us. She's going to die out there. And I remember when she called me and said, come and live with us. I went. That was it. Wow. Wonderful. It was her just reaching out, moving in with them, and then cleaning myself. Like I, she went through my stuff. I washed my cards. I had a group of, of friends that would pick me up and I would go walking because I had to get it out of my system. So you didn't go to detox? You just did it on your own? I did it on my own. Whoa. And was and, it la- uh, that the last time you used or did you really? Yeah, over 21. I mean, and it's not, for, everybody doesn't go through it. And that's one of the reasons I do do the 12 steps myself because there was those steps. I didn't do those steps, but I did them like through God. God was my, my 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, it doesn't happen for everybody. And I no, the 12 steps, I love 12 step programs. They are yeah. very, very helpful yeah. for a lot of people. And they are um, helpful to me, even knowing, well, I did do that. Not seeing I was doing that. It was just, it wasn't a step work. It was just me functioning. Well, and it's a, the 12 steps are a spiritual journey and mm-hmm. they are definitely scriptural. And it is a process that you have to take to get well. And whether it's addiction or codependency or anything else, uh, you have to go through those steps. And so I love the fact that you went through them on your own because God brought you through them because it is a definitely a a yeah. very spiritual biblical journey through the 12 steps so so you didn't use and mm. you got clean there but then you got married and then you didn't have a good marriage yeah so I went I started going back to church and you see so a lot of that was a very the idea of this is how it's going to get fixed so even though I was getting healthier there was not the depthness the work within me so I felt like well if I get the right family then that'll work if I get the make a family and fix the family, then I'll be okay. Makes sense. <laughs> so right? that's what I did. You know, I went took it again, control into my own hands. I was in real estate and it was someone from my high school, a high school crush, and kind of just started that relationship. I went from a father that was physical to verbal abuse and very similar traits in my father. So it was interesting how you tend to gravitate to that still and breaking away from those unhealthy behaviors and relationships. My daughter was three years old. I mean, it was unfaithfulness and verbal abuse. And then he finally left. And at that sense, when she was three, I remember the day he left, I had a condo because I was in real estate. So I was able to support myself, but it was very, like, barely. I was sitting on the steps in our our condo and I just remember crying out to God and saying, I can't do this alone. I can't do this. I need you. You weren't there before, but I need you now. I remember crying out to him. And I literally felt like, his arms come around me and holds me on those stairs, like a presence I've never felt. Like he literally covered me with his arms and I found rest in his arms. And that's where that journey started, where I just returned to school, brought my bachelor's, raised my daughter. She is now, she's 19, going to college now. 
last year, God brought me an amazing man and that I was not looking for. I really thought I was going to be alone. <laughs> and it was okay because I was so involved in my job and another organization. I'm part of the third step that deals with women in recovery. And I felt like that was me just pouring, giving back and just pouring back in. But in the process, you know, God introduced me to Daniel, which is my husband. And he was very intentional how he created that connection. Very intentional because I wouldn't, I don't date. I hadn't dated for 16 years at all. I fell in love with God and God was it. And I went to conferences. I did things with the church and that was it. That's what our life consisted of. My daughter grew up in the church. As I went to other classes to continue healing for myself, I went to classes for breakthrough of sexual abuse. I went to Beauty for Ashes. I went to different classes that would research and Carlos classes and just continue to work on myself inside because I knew that the way I raised my daughter was going to be a better version of who I was. And she, even if I didn't get married or whatever that looked like, she was going to have the promise of God. My cousin, uh, basically in high school, she had an instructor, which is my husband, <laughs> and she, he's a writer. So what basically she did is she um, would still be in contact with him while she was in college to get corrections on her poetry because he, he's a grammar teacher. So, and he's a poet, he writes poetry. She reached out to me and said, you know, I want you to meet my teacher. And I was right away red flags and I tell him I was like why are you still in contact with the teacher <laughs> she was more because my fear was like what's going on like I went into this kind of controlling like this is not right and she was like Maria this is a teacher that helps me with like my journals I enter at Cal State Long Beach and I was like oh okay I was so resistant about meeting him there's a church that I I go to I went to a small but I go to this church, Cottonwood, in Los Alamitos. So I would go there when I just wanted to go and receive, not have to work, not have to do anything, and just soak it in. Well, that's where he went to church. But I was more like, uh, well, if I see him there, I see him there. But God had already been stirring in my heart because I remember praying probably two weeks before this happened. God, if I'm resisting being loved because of fear, help me step over this because my daughter was graduating and I started to think of what it, I mean, I'm okay this way, but have I really been able to be loved differently, you know, the, that I haven't seen? And God did that because I finally decided to meet him at the church. So we met at the church for a Christmas play. And when we met that day, I was on the way, I took my daughter somewhere and I was on my way and I was going to cancel. And I literally was going to pick up the phone and cancel. And I'm like, no, I'm not ready. to. And God said, I felt like God said that to my son. And I came because I felt God was saying that is not, that's my child. And you're being disrespectful to my child. (laughs) (laughs) And it's interesting because once I parked and I got there, I couldn't find parking. I had all these excuses. God, I can't find parking. I finally found parking and I met him. He was he had already got our seat. He was waiting in the front. We had never met besides my cousin sent us a picture of each other. And I remember walking up to him and I got nervous. 
And I was like, this is not good. <laughs> I was like, like a little girl. Yeah. Sometimes I got nervous, like, oh my gosh, like I'm doing this. Never have I felt like that. But I still kind of unplayed it down and said, Maria, it's not a big deal. You're just meeting him. Well, that day we went to have coffee. We had this conversation. So rewind back when I was with my girlfriends one day, I had wrote a list of what I wanted in a man. And there were two things, and I can't find the list, and this goes to prove my point that it's not every time the checklist, you don't have to have that. But in my mind, I had this idea. The idea was I had not been protected, so I wanted someone to protect me. So in some sense, what did that look like? It looked like someone strong. My husband works out, and he has, not that he's this big buff, but he has strength. As soon as I walked up to him, I saw these broad shoulders, and I was like, oh my gosh, okay. That was the strength that I felt I needed. Even though it's not about the physical, that was something that I realized as physical. And the other thing, I'm not a tattoo person, but someone would always say, you like people with tattoos. And I'm like, no, I don't. And then I had said, if if God brings me a man, he's going to have one tattoo and the tattoo is going to be a scripture, which is not even me. I don't have any tattoos, but he had one scripture. And it was a tattoo on his arm because I remember seeing his arm when he put it out to shake my hand. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> God's answering my prayer. That's really fun. Fun, But what's it's so neat. interesting is that the word that he is Daniel 10, 12, his name is Daniel and says, I have come for thy word. And I didn't tell him until six months into us dating because his scripture came with his surrender. To God, and he was actually gonna tattoo a, a Latin poet word on his hand when he finished his master's in North Carolina, but he never did it because he said, "When I finish my master's, I'm gonna get this poet line on my hand with a pen." And he didn't do it. It was years later that he he was at his journey with God, and that scripture was so evident. He got it in a week. Now my husband really processes everything when he buys a furniture piece. It takes him weeks to make a decision on it. So that was, as I would hear him tell me the story, I kept like, oh my gosh, but I did not want to tell him. (laughs) I had asked for one scripture, but what it came to first full circle is the day he actually did ask me out because that was just our initial meeting. I was going through something very personal with my daughter and her, and her father. I felt devalued. I was losing the fight as a parent. I felt like, how can I do this journey? And my daughter's about to graduate. This is being told to her by her by her father. And I'm trying to speak life over it. But on that way to work that day, I just broke down in tears. And I was listening to my worship music and I was just crying out to God, like, I'm tired. I don't, I don't know if I'm doing this right. And God is so personal and intentional, so personal. He literally that day, I got to work and one of the residents had made an art piece for graduation because we do a graduation. And she had made a pregnant woman with a cap and gown and she drew it and she sent me an email. She said, what do you think about this for the ceremony? As soon as I opened my email, I started crying because I saw God speaking to me. I'm birthing something new in you. And Literally, I forward that this picture, this image, to my um, to Daniel and said, "Look at this amazing art piece. 
one of my residents did. And that was it. An hour later, I started working. He sent me this amazing, I always say, he found a dictionary, found my name Maria, connected all the words. Will you go out with me this weekend? Oh, how sweet. And when he did that, he enclosed a song that God had given me in my room by myself. It's Pioneers. Nobody, I told nobody about the song. Pioneers for King and Country talks about a new world. You're going into something new. And he enclosed that song with it. He was going to send it. And then he said, God told him, put a song. He had put that song in his playlist because he said, one day I want to write a song as beautiful as this for someone. When he sent me that and I opened it, I remember telling him, it wasn't so much the way you asked me out. It was the, the presence of God telling me, you are worth more than this. You are worth so much more than this. And I saw it physically. And I, he, had, he was obedient to God. And I received the blessing of his obedience. And I was able to trust. That started the journey to Quickly, let me ask you, a lot of people say they have trouble with healthy sexual intimacy. Has that been a struggle for you or was the healing far enough along that that hasn't been a struggle? No, actually not. I, I prayed about that and it was, and it was perfect. Everything I, I, none of that has been triggers. And that was my biggest fear. That was my biggest fear. And I think, cause I really put it at his feet. I had people around me that were praying that were close to me that had let them come in and they were praying for me too. I had a good support system and I had done a lot of work. I'm not saying that that journey isn't done yet. And I, it was perfect for me. It was everything and more that I haven't asked for, you know, yeah. there was nothing, nothing distorted in that intimacy. Give us a little more details about how you came to come to your father when he was dying and make that decision to forgive him. Well, I met him um, probably a couple months before he died. I finally went to meet him. Uh, first, I met him initially at a Starbucks, and I went with my brother, one of my brothers, Tom Close, but he sat away. And I had a list of what I wanted to tell him. I wrote down a list, and I asked him to please listen to me. And I basically just told him these things. Why did you do this? Do you know you just you know, you changed my view on relationships, you changed my view on intimacy, you changed my, you know, everything that I had wrote down was on this list, and listen to me, and at that day, I, I mean, I still don't ever feel like I got um, sorry, I got more of a, he was abused at the point of blackout as a child, and abandoned on his front lawn by his, um, assumed it was his father as well, um, by several men, but I felt like you could have tried to fight for us. You could have fought to have better. And now that's where I choose to fight for better. I choose to expose what has happened, work through it and talk about it because I don't want it to touch my family. I want to, to break that from that generational curse to continue. So that was the initial first meeting. And then on Father's Day, the year he died about eight years ago, I met with him and my brother. So I saw him for two Father's Days in a row. One time I went at a park. The second time I met his wife and we had dinner together. And I remember there was still, I can honestly say there was still an ounce of anger towards him. I wanted to hear, I'm sorry, I messed up. I'm, I'm sorry I did this or whatever that looked like. I, I didn't hear that. And I had to be okay with it because I remember 
him saying, what are you doing? And I said, oh, at the time I was still in school. I said, um, I was finishing school. I said, oh, I want to work with social services to stop people from being abused. And it was a, an attack just to poke at him to say, like, I want to stop people like you. Yeah. And, and I remember, I, I don't do that, but I remember my, how I was feeling when I said that. I still can remember that. He got sick a couple months later and I went to the hospital. Our entire family went. This is a miracle. We all stood in the room and we locked hands and we prayed. And I do remember when I went in by myself first, I hummed to him because I would sing. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. He had asked me one time if I would come and sing at he was going to church now. He was in a recovery home. And he had asked me if I would go, and I told him no. So at his bedside, I, I hummed the song to him, and I rubbed the top of his forehead. And I remember he had one tear that came out of his eye, and it reminded me of the tear that brought the change in my life. And I remember telling him, I forgive you. You have to forgive yourself. And he went home that night, and I really believe that that was his freedom of us forgiving him and allowing him to go and it was like God saying okay this chapter of your life is closed this is where the beauty comes from the ashes absolutely and now you I've heard you give your testimony where you can do the whole story together and you literally hold a rose a single rose and as you tell your story you pull the petals can you tell me what the significance of that give the people listening how that picture fits your story so the rose petals it's a beautiful women want like to me I always think of roses they bring beauty they bring a smile on your but sometimes that beautiful rose has been damaged and we're like those roses. We're like those beautiful roses. We have so much beauty we don't see in ourselves sometimes. So when I tell the story, I tell it as a third person talking about this little girl and all the things that happened to this little girl and I'm tearing the petals out and I break them, break the rose to talk about basically the death like that I was aiming for. Then I get another rose and I only take like one petal or two off of it And I talk about the restoration that is still brought through meeting a man that wouldn't lie, that would never leave you, that is faithful. And I talk about the man that I fell in love with first, which was God, Father, the pure Father, the loving Father, the Father that adopted me, the Father that called me who I was before I believed who I was. And I talk about that journey in this new rose. And then I present that this is my story. And I talk about how that journey was for me and how God brings restoration because it's um, part of a song like a rose trampled on the ground. He took the fall and he thought of you and me. So, and then I take a rose and I give a rose to each woman or whoever I'm sharing with. Usually I do the roses with women and just call them who they are. Like you are fearless. You're wonderfully made. Everything God says you're the apple of his eye. You're courageous. You are victorious. And I call those things that have been called on me, or even sometimes I feel like God really does give me a word that I'm like, whoa, where did that come, that word come? It's God's word, but it mm-hmm. allows the woman that I'm giving the rose to, to just break down and come to me after and say, how did you know I struggle with fear? And how did you know this? And I, I don't, I don't know, but I know what God says we, we are. And you're like the, the opposite of fear is faith. So like my word is fearless. 
because I've done a lot of things in fear, but it's given me faith. So I, I kind of explain that and it just reminds me of the restoration journey, which is amazing because my husband actually, his book that came out was Apologist, Apologies in Reverse and it's a rose. He took a and it's, so there's so much significance to our lives coming together. Amazing. No, like, you know, the importance of the symbols. Yeah, that's really, it's awesome to be able to look back and see all of that and just see mm-hmm. God. We don't understand why God mm-hmm. wouldn't stop it other than the fact that God doesn't intervene. And I mean, the world has sin in it and often mm-hmm. there's not, you know, intervention, yeah. but yet God is faithful because he does bring good out of bad and he uses us just like it talks about in Corinthians where it talks about how he's comforted us then he uses us to comfort others and you have a beautiful ministry touching women's lives and healing them and their brokenness what would be the one takeaway that you would give to or say to the people listening I think because I know relationships have been a challenge for me something that has really helped me is we all have these ghosts in some sense, that are like relationship killers. And we have to identify what they are and not bring them in to the future because God promises a hope and a future. So if you know something is killing something, you have to find a way to eliminate that or to work through that because it's almost like you have to look fear in the face and have a different perspective of it. This is uncomfortable. I know I don't like this, but look at it from a different angle. And when you look from look at it from a different angle, it gives you a whole different perspective on the situation. Yeah. Relationship. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm no, just thank you. you. Know the emotion that people are feeling listening to this because I'm feeling it right now and I've heard your story before. It's a beautiful story. Thank you for being willing to share it. Thank you to all of those of you that are listening for taking this time. And you can go ahead and please share. This is a new podcast, so please share it with other people that you know that would benefit. And I'd love to hear ideas for interviews from you. I'm going to be interviewing some experts also on different topics. So I hope you'll come back and listen to us in the future. And again, thank you so much, Maria. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to this interview on Change My Relationship. We hope you will subscribe to these podcasts and share them with your friends. Carla would love to hear from you. She welcomes ideas for future podcasts as well as your feedback on how the podcasts have helped your life and relationships. You can email her at carla at changemyrelationship.com. For more information on Change My Relationship and Carla Downing's ministry, including her books, studies, devotionals, podcasts, and YouTube videos, visit changemyrelationship.com. 